We're in Luke 18. We're going to be finishing up the chapter 18 of Luke today, uh, which is not a real long distance, but just the end of it. Uh, so if you will, head that way in your, your Bibles this morning. Uh, and today we are going to be learning about a, a time uh, that our Lord shows great compassion of, upon a blind man who is just outside the city of Jericho. Uh, and every time we think of a blind man, I, I know that uh, we all think we know what it's like to be blind. We, we just kind of assume, oh, I, I totally get that. I can make sense of it. Because at some point in your life, you've, you've closed your eyes and you've walked around long enough to, to just see if you can do it, right? Um, and uh, you know, some of you are looking at me. I'm not the only one who's done this, right? You close your eyes, you walk around. Anyone else confess this? This is a group confession. Okay, not as many as I would have thought. Uh, but at least I'm not alone. <clears throat> and so anyway, those of you who have done that, you know what it's like to be blind for 30 seconds of your life. Um, or, or maybe you think you know what it's like to be blind because you've walked through the house at night and you've managed to not hit anything, uh, you know, crash into anything until you found Legos on the ground or something like that. Or you know what it's like to be blind because uh, you've you played... Uh, been in a pool at some point in your childhood and, and shouted out Marco and, and then went after the chorus of, of polos that responded to you. So listen, you and I don't really know what it's like to be blind. We might think we do. We might have tasted it for a few seconds. That's not the same thing. Uh, we don't know what it's like to be blind day after day, hour after hour, uh, year after year of no sight, no option to just open your eyes and give up. I've tried this long enough or to turn on the light, right? That's not an option at all. And, and because of that, you've probably never in your life cried out to God for sight. You just haven't for, for the mercy in, in regards to your blindness. But, but that's what we're seeing in our passage here with this blind man. And, and, and so let's just get into it. We're going to read it, and then we're going to dig deeper into this beautiful story of, of restoration and redemption that we, we find here in Luke 18 uh, we're beginning in, in verse 35, and we'll go to the end of the chapter this morning. <clears throat> so follow along. He, at the beginning, is Jesus. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we are worshiping you this morning, it is because you have given us eyes to see your beauty. It is because you have given faith to our doubting hearts, because you have given us hope for eternity with you. You have redeemed us. And so please enlighten our minds this morning to receive your word and to be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so here's this blind man. His name is Bartimaeus, um, which just means son of Timaeus. 
Uh, and I know that. I make up a lot of people's names when they're not provided for us just to make things a little more understandable. In this case, we actually know that this is his name, and we know that because the story is also reco- recorded in Matthew 9 and Mark 10. Uh, and in Mark, Mark actually tells us what his name is, Bartimaeus. Uh, Bartimaeus. I'm probably going to say it wrong ten more times today. Anyway, uh, he hasn't always been blind, or he likely hasn't always been blind. And the reason we know this is, well, if you look at the details, verse 41, what do you, what do you notice there? He, he doesn't say, give me sight when Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? He says, let me recover my sight. So it seems to be that he must have had it at some point. Either way, it's not particularly of great importance to the whole story, but worth noticing. Medically speaking, we, we don't know what has happened that has caused uh, Bartimaeus' blindness to begin with. Has his, has his retina been detached from his eye or does he have glaucoma or um, conversion disorder or what it might be that has actually caused this blindness in him. What, whatever the cause of this blindness though, we know that, that, that he's blind and in first century Israel what this means for him is that he's living in poverty. What this means is that he's living in, in helplessness because in this culture there, there is no provision made for those with disabilities. And so that's why he's sat himself in the best place whereby he might beg travelers to mercifully provide for his needs. He stations himself on the roadside. Interesting, 2,000 years later, across the ocean, this is, uh, that is still the best place to be uh, for someone who is, is begging. If you've ever been to a major city, you've probably driven by people seeking your mercy. And so Bartimaeus hears a crowd, and he asks those around him, what's going on? What's the commotion here? And someone tells him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And, and did you notice he doesn't respond with, who? who? Who cares? Who's that guy? Nothing like that, right? Which tells us Bartimaeus knows the name of Jesus. He's probably, in fact, heard stories of Jesus healing other blind men, other blind women. And that's the reason we see him respond the way he does. Bartimaeus also knows his own need. He, he believes that Jesus can heal him of his issue, his blindness. Now, one fundamental reality which we learn here is that only those who understand their blindness, who understand their helplessness, are going to cry out to God for mercy. That's almost a prereq for this. And this is both true, both spiritually and physically. Only those who know they are sinners, those who know they are spiritually blind, are going to cry out for salvation. Otherwise, what would motivate you? Now, it's interesting that the blind man is, is nearly the opposite of the rich young ruler that we looked at or, or Jesus interacted with just a few weeks ago. Well, a few weeks ago for us, but not for, for Jesus. Uh, anyway, the rich man's material prosperity blinded him from seeing his spiritual poverty, and he went away without salvation. Whereas, and this is the opposite, the blind man's material poverty has opened his eyes to his spiritual poverty, and, and he goes away with the assurance of salvation from the Lord. Now, today we know that it's a work of the Holy Spirit that shows us that we are sinful, that reveals that to us, uh, and that shows us how desperate we are for the mercy of God in the gospel to receive the grace of God. Now, th- did you notice what the blind man actually calls Jesus? Verse 38, look at it if you've got it open in front of you, compared to what those around him called Jesus, verse 37. That's a significant difference. 
They call him Jesus of Nazareth, right? That, that merely tells you where he's from. That's like us saying uh, Travis of Paola or uh, Tim of Zimbabwe, right? That's, that's just telling us where they're from. But, but as the blind man speaks up, he says, Jesus, son of David, that's a messianic title. Well, and, and so while the men with healthy eyes look at Jesus and they only see there's that guy from that city, blind Bartimaeus actually sees who Jesus really is. Now, any Jewish person would have been familiar with this title, Son of David, right? Uh, Bartimaeus is confessing here that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he's saying here. He's saying this is the very Savior whom God had promised to send to redeem his people. And even though he's blind, he knows this is who he is. This title is referenced when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary way back in Luke 1.32. I don't even know how long ago that was when we were there. It feels years ago. Maybe it was three months ago. I don't know. Uh, But Gabriel said of the child that she carried in her womb, he said, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. It's referencing this. And then in Luke 4.18, Jesus, he's in the synagogue. You remember, this is the first time he stands up and he's speaking in the synagogue. uh, And he reads an Old Testament passage. Anyone remember what the passage is? You get extra bonus points if you can remember this. This was so long ago. No guesses? You said Isaiah? Close enough. Isaiah 61. You get bonus points. You can redeem those for nothing. So... The Spirit of the Lord, and this is what it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, except it's not fully Isaiah 61. Actually, Jesus splices right in there, and he's Jesus, so he can do this, right in the middle, a single line from Isaiah 42. And the line that he splices in there um, is is this, and I quote this. He says uh, that he's coming, right, to uh, recovering of sight to the blind. He just sticks it right in there. And he's speaking out about what he's coming to do, right? And this is, uh, of course, physically and spiritually recovering sight to the blind. Now, do you get the significance here? When, when, when Bartimaeus addresses Jesus as the Son of God, his heart is confessing that he knows who Jesus is. He knows that this is the rightful heir, the rightful Messiah of promise. And, and, and why he knows this is uncertain, right? A work of the Spirit, sure. Has he overheard people talk about Jesus this way and he believes what he's heard? Sure. We, we don't know exactly what the details are. Regardless, he, he, that's why he's crying out, right, so loudly, Jesus, son of, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and the people around him, what do they do? They rebuke him. Why? It's simple, really, because it's rude and annoying, to shout in a crowd. It is. You know that. Next time you're sitting down in Redina's and you see a friend come in, right? Try it. You just, just shout, Andrew! Andrew, son of Rick, uh, try a Snickers latte. Whatever you want to shout out, you just scream across Redina's and I promise you someone's going to rebuke you. Dude, quiet. That's rude. That, that's the really reason that they're rebuking him in this way. And, and so they're saying something like, just be quiet, Bartimaeus. Just stop. You're, you're being obnoxious. He can't hear you anyway. Just stop. But he won't stop, will he? He, he won't shut up. He, he's like a man stranded on an island who, who sees a boat in the distance, and the only thing he cares about in this moment is somehow getting the attention of Jesus. And he cries out even more, Jesus, son of, da- son of David, have mercy on me. What, what motivates that sort of pursuit? 
It's, it's simple, really. He, he really believes that Jesus can heal him. I mean, any of you that have any, any medical issues, if you, if you knew someone could absolutely heal you, and you happen to see them across the street, you, you might respond the same way. He, he believes that. Two last uh, observations on the words of Bartimaeus cries out with here. I do want to point out two more things. First, the, the word mercy in the Old Testament is often associated with, with mercy for sin, right? Not just physical mercy, um, but for sin. A, a plea for the forgiveness of, of, of my sin. Uh, one of the most well-known examples that you'll, you'll remember as soon as I mention it, right? Psalm 51, uh, David is crying out there and he says this, uh, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, transgression sins. The, the point being, it's, it's very possible that Bartimaeus is intentionally asking for more than just his vision. That, that, that's really what he's going after. And, and I just want you to keep that in mind when we see Jesus' response here in a little bit. Uh, the second observation here is that the last two words of a sentence can be very important. We often just glance over them. For example, uh, many years ago, we were on a car ride. I think we were between Kansas City and here. We were on I-70 somewhere. And Berkeley says from the back uh, seat, she, she shouts out, um, I liked mom better before she died. And then this very long pause. And then she said, her hair, which changes the sentence incredibly, right? The last two words there are, are very important. Um, I, I realized this last week also as one day I, I asked Laura, what should I make for lunch in case you don't make it back? And she's like, whoa, why, why am I not going to make it back? At which time I finished the sentence before lunch and that changed everything. She was fine with that. Um, Two words, the last two words of a sentence are often very important for, for understanding here. And, and do you see the last two words in, in Bartimaeus is saying here, Jesus, son of David, have mercy, right? That's just a vague everyone, have mercy, cord. But the last two words are on me. And, and, and it's so easy to think, well, yeah, that's where we knew that sentence was going. Um, but, but the point is, this is a very personal plea to God. Have mercy on, on me, Lord. Um, and we're going to see that Jesus does indeed answer this very personally. Uh, first, though, in verse 40, have a look there. You, you see the compassion uh, of our Lord. He's on his way to do important work. If you've ever been doing important work or that you think is important, right? You're going and it's hard to stop for someone because you have something else to do. Well, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to laying down his life and the resurrection and life again and all that. Uh, but, but then he hears this murmur in the crowd, over the crowd, these desperate cries for mercy and, and he stops. He, he gives time. This is great compassion. And he says, bring that blind man to me. And, and when Jesus asked him, you know, what, what do you want me to do and did you notice the last two words here? What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus responds, Lord, let me recover my sight. We, we know that he is blind, right? He can't see with his eyes. But spiritually speaking, if we've seen nothing about Bartimaeus at this point, we can see that he has solid 20-20 vision, spiritually speaking. Right? Because again, he's calling him Lord here. And I know that we've seen other people call him Lord and not mean it. But, but, but in this case, we, we know by the response of Jesus later that indeed Bartimaeus means this, right? He, he rightly knows at, at this moment that only the creator of the universe and, and the creator of everything in the universe can grant a miraculous request like this. 
And he asks Jesus because he knows Jesus is that person. He sees the divinity of, of Christ. And so when he calls him Lord, at the heart, this is a prayer, right? He's speaking out to God, asking for something. He's, he's also expressing faith in Jesus, a submission, submission to Jesus, a trusting in Jesus, everything we do when we come to faith. We, we, we know this for certain, like I said, by the response, right? Verse 42, Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, we tend to get only, well, theological in one direction, let me put it that way, when we think of faith. We, we think of it in terms of it's only about believing in Jesus. That's all faith is, right? Uh, do you know that faith is believing that God can do many other things for you as well? Now, I'm not about to go into faith healing. You don't have to mute me back there. Um, but, but the Lord, you know, faith in the Lord, faith, faith in, 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 in that you believe that Jesus can actually heal your sickness, that he can give you endurance for suffering. That he can provide you wisdom for parenting or anything else. That he can fill you with, with hope in moments of great distress in your life. That he can provide you the job that you desperately need. And, and faith in Jesus here has, has made Bartimaeus well. Jesus says that, right? Your faith has made you well. Literally, in fact, he says your faith has saved you. That's the Greek word that we keep seeing, right, over and over again, uh, many times. Now, sozo, you can memorize, and now you know a Greek word, sozo. Uh, <clears throat> also, amen, because it's the same in every language, including Greek. Um, anyway, sozo, it, it can mean to save either spiritually or physically, both or, or in both aspects. And we've seen it before, like I said, we, back in uh, Luke 7.50, a, a woman that anointed Jesus' feet, right, and everyone looks at her with uh, this contempt and, and Jesus says to her your faith has made your well that's the word sozo there right it has saved you uh, Luke eight forty eight. a woman touched Jesus robe and she was healed of of chronic bleeding and he says to her your faith has made your well sozo it saved you Luke seventeen nineteen. Jesus heals 10 lepers it's not long ago you should remember this one uh, and only one of them returns and the one that returns falls on his feet and and he's and he's just praising Jesus for what he's done for him the healing and, and Jesus says to him your faith has made you well that's the word sozo right saved you now this might sound like faith is a currency, right? That you give God faith and he gives you healing in this case. Faith is not a currency. Faith is not the work by which salvation is earned. Faith is the means by which the gift of salvation is received. And that's a very significant difference. In Ephesians 2.8, you probably know this, many of you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Um, think of it like this. Uh, if a friend sends you a gift from Amazon, um, say, say Flamingo footy pajamas, right? They, they're sending you those. And, and th this gift is for you, but it's provided by Amazon and it's delivered to you by UPS. Now, to put that in the terms of Ephesians, I don't know, let me, if this is not helpful, maybe not. To put it in the terms of Ephesians, it'd be this. For by Amazon, you have been flamingo footy pajamaized through UPS. Does that help you understand where faith is? No. Susie's saying no. That's not helpful at all. Um, understand this though. The, the, the gift is from someone, right? They paid for it. And in our case, it's from the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid for it on the cross, uh, the, the gift of salvation, right? 
but it's delivered to us by faith, which is also a gift of God. So the, the reason I want you to understand this, though, is, is so you don't make that mistake of thinking that you must work hard and conjure up faith if, if these things are going to happen for you, if you're going to have, you know, salvation. That, that's not how that works. You, you cannot create faith in Jesus just like no amount of, of squeezing coal is actually going to turn it into a diamond for a number of reasons if you look into it, but it's not going to happen. And, and so faith is both a gift and a means by which we receive the forgiveness of sin and the righteousness of Christ. B.B. Warfield, writing on this in 1952, quite a while back now, uh, I think he helpfully adds this. He says, it's not even faith, strictly speaking, that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively not in the act of faith, not in the attitude of faith, not in the nurture of faith, but in the object of faith in Christ himself. And and, and so we've, in this passage, seen Bartimaeus call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And he was saved. It's a very... um, it's reality of what we read about later in Romans 10.13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like, like Kara, who was baptized this morning. And like you, all of you who have personally trusted in the Lord Jesus for your salvation, you've called on the name of the Lord and been saved. Uh, and so Jesus restores this man's sight with a view towards his eternal redemption. And this should remind us that, that Jesus is not only redeeming our souls, but, but he's also redeeming our bodies as well. And we forget that because we, we don't experience that quite yet, right? This, this does give hope, though, to those who suffer with physical issues today, whether it be blindness or mental struggles or heart disease or Parkinson's or cancer or undesired scars or anything else that is a physical ailment of some sort. One day, Jesus will fix all those things. Your redemption is, encompasses all of you. And so while you may today, through physical struggles and frustrations, be buried with Christ, remember that we will also rise with Christ to, to new life and into perfect bodies. Now, th- this doesn't mean that God's going to heal your body now. And I think that's the frustration for many of us. Your, your struggle might might continue on. It might remain a thorn in your flesh that is humbling you for the rest of your days. But keep crying out. I think sometimes we're, we're too weak on this point. We're like, I'll just wait and see. Keep crying out. Keep patiently asking, asking while remembering what Revelation 21.4 promises that Jesus will accomplish on the last day. It says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Let that encourage you. That's not a maybe. That's an absolute certainty because of all that Christ has done for us and will do for us. Now, we have one more verse to look at today. It tells us how Bartimaeus responded to to the grace of God healing his eyes and saving his soul. Uh, Verse 43, speaking of Bartimaeus, says, And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. His sight is restored. Try to imagine this. The man's been blind. We don't know how long. Uh, presumably a long time, though. He's, he's blind, and he opens his eyes, and the first person he sees is the Lord Jesus standing right before him. 
the prophecy Jesus read in the synagogue back in Luke 4 has absolutely come true, and he's the one experiencing this. The, the sight to the blind has been re- restored. This, this prophecy is fulfilled in a manner uh, more often than we like to acknowledge it. I, I mentioned it earlier, though, but every, every time that we, we witness a, a sinner coming to faith in Jesus Christ, whether a child or an adult, spiritually speaking, their eyes have been opened, uh, and, and they see Jesus, and, they, and to see Jesus is to love Jesus. We've seen this miracle of eyes being opened. Listen, faith in Jesus is a miracle. Do not lose the wonder of that. Don't lose the wonder of that. Now, there's two fruits of Bartimaeus' faith in Jesus, and his response is is really what we should expect from anyone who receives faith in Christ. First, uh, from that moment, he follows Jesus. Follows Jesus. In this case, there's a literal aspect to that, right? Right? But, but it also means he follows him in the sense that he becomes a disciple of Jesus. What, what you tell me to do, I do. The way you instruct me, I will, I will go. The way your life goes, I will, I will follow after. His life has changed. His values have changed. His priorities have changed. And they're all about Jesus now. That's our life. It might not be the practice of our life, but that's what we've been called to. Second, well, it's, it's only after Jesus has, has come into our life that we can fulfill our purpose for existing. Or as the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, you know, the, the chief end of, of our chief end. Our purpose. Uh, who knows what the answer to that is? What is the chief end of man? Anyone know it? Yeah, a lot of you. Good job. Um, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Unless you're John Piper, then it's by enjoying Him forever. But don't get mixed up in that right now. Um, to enjoy, to glorify God by enjoying him forever and enjoy him forever. Now I'm turning to John Piper. All right. Uh, Bartimaeus, with, with new eyes and new faith, what we see here is he has glorified God. Right? What, what does that look like? He's glorified God with his emotions overflowing and praise to go, towards God. He glorified God with his words of praise, his, his awestruck reverence of all that God is. He glorifies God by, by following him in a life of obedience and repentance when failing. He, he glorified God by simply knowing that this good gift of sight is amazing, but it's nothing compared to the one who gave it, the Lord Jesus. Uh, Philip Ryken says, True faith, then, produces joy in God and a commitment to follow Jesus Forever. He also suggests that this is a good test for us to say, you know, what is my relationship with God actually like? What, what, what's going on here in the present? And, and he says to ask ourselves a few of these questions. One, uh, do I experience joy of God in worship? And, and that's deeper than the question, do I like the music here? Or something like that. Okay, do, do, do I experience joy in, in worship of God because of who God is? Uh, a second question, am I committed to keeping the commandments of God? That, that didn't mean you'll do it perfect, but is that really what you want to do? I, I want to follow after the Lord and, and being committed to that. Three, to, to ask, does my life point other people to Jesus in a way that makes them also want to follow Jesus? That might be hard to, to answer. You've got to think deep on that one. The last thing we're told in this passage is that all who saw this event in Bartimaeus' life, they gave praise to God. This is why if we're committed to living for the glory of God, we must be committed to living in a shared community. 
If you don't share with your covenant community, and this, this is a practice for us guys to really lean into, because I know we're not all good at this, but if we're not willing to share with our covenant community uh, your, your fears, your, your medical issues and fears, your, your, your parenting struggle, your work uh, or school frustrations, your, your personal battles against um, besetting sins in your life, if you don't share those things, then you're also not going to share when God has worked in your life in those areas. You're not going to be telling each other, you know, this is what God has done. You're just not going to have those. And if we don't hear these stories of what God has been doing in your life and the way that he's been growing your faith in him and the way that he's been encouraging you, and if we don't hear those, then we're not going to get to join you in praising God for the amazing works that he has accomplished. And I, I, I say that because we, we've got these small groups, and I was at the one on Thursday, and I know we're out of practice at this point, I realize. I, I think we're all a little more hesitant at this point willing to, to share our lives. And I, I want to encourage you to let those walls down a little bit and just put it out there. Like, this, this is what's going on, and I'm embarrassed, right? Um, because we want to pray for you. That's, that's what we're called to do together. We want to live in this community together. We want to uh, be able to encourage you in your battle against sin or whatever it might be and, and to be able to celebrate when we can see God work in, in those ways because, you know, it's just a joyful thing when it works that way. Um, okay, we're almost finished today, but I, I do want to, to challenge, uh, challenge us in one more area. What, what do you do when things don't go your way, when, when things just stink, right? When the future feels out of control, do you, do, do you cry out to God for mercy, like we see Bartimaeus doing here, right? Or do, you, do you also ask your brothers and sisters to do it for you? Will, they, will you cry out to the Lord for mercy for me? Or, or do you do that other thing that we're just so prone to do? That instead of crying out to God, do, do you complain to whoever will listen? I, in the, I confess, I tend to go that way and I really feel conviction about it. And it, it might mean that we, we need to ask this difficult question. Why do I not cry out to God for mercy like this blind man? What do I think is going to happen from complaining? Now, it, it might be that deep down, if we're honest, you, you don't believe God's going to answer, and so you don't bother to even ask. Our, our God, and you need to know this, our, our God is all-powerful and all-good, and He loves you, and and, and believe it. You must believe that God may answer your prayers. Cry out to him like he will. It, it, it might be that you've been crying out for deliverance from your affliction for years. Or, or you've asked God to mercifully grant faith to, 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 to a sibling or someone you care about or for a friend's healing. And, and nothing has come of that. And you're just discouraged. And, and to that I'd say just don't give up. Don't, don't say, I, I asked God to give me faith or to heal me, and he just, he didn't. Because maybe he just hasn't yet. Keep asking. Uh, remember what, what the Lord said back in Luke 9, or 11, 9. Uh, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. How many times have we seen through this, too, where, where Jesus encouraged this? Keep praying, keep asking, keep coming to me. Uh, and so ask, ask again, be, be patient and trust that if not in this life, it is a, a certainty in the life that God has eternally secured for you. And, and finally, this is the last thing, it, it was the providence of God to make Bartimaeus blind. It just was. 
He, at some point, he had to understand that I am blind because the Lord willed that I be blind. And, and the way that he responds to this providence is by crying out for mercy. He goes to God, not away from him. L- listen, you, you might not be blind, but every one of us has a need to cry out to God for something. This is where it takes some, some thinking in your own life, some real evaluation. What do you need to cry out to God for? What do you need to cry out to God for? Salvation? Anxiety? Strength to fight some besetting sin? Uh, your marriage? Wisdom and parenting? Debilitating medical issue? Infertility? Important life decisions? What, what do you need to cry out to God for in your life right now? And a bigger question, will you? Will you do that? Because you think back to this, this historical story we just read. Imagine how tragic it would have been if Bartimaeus, sitting along the side of the road near Jericho, had heard Jesus walking by and never cried out for mercy. That would have been the tragedy. Let us pray. Father, if there are those who are here today with good eyes but blind hearts, we ask that you would heal their hearts and renew their faith. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal who Jesus is, work salvation in the hearts of those who need it. Lord Jesus, renew our own joy in salvation, that we might glorify you in the midst of of all people. Yes, in this room, but also wherever we go from here, wherever you take us. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.